are listening to Up To Me Radio, the best in inspirational talk radio. It's up to me. This is Dr. Scott Clitheroe, and along with Beth Sims, I'm happy to welcome you back to another edition of A Healthier View. Oh, man, what a beautiful spring day. Beth, how are you doing? OMG, I am so glad to be here with you today, and I am so excited about today's show. And you're right, it is beautiful in Texas. I mean, yes. the hot weather is right around the corner. That's okay. I'll enjoy it while, while, we, while I can, because, yeah, we, we joke about the fact that spring is only one day in Texas, but it's, right. um, it's a little bit longer than that. We've had some two days, quite a few mild days, seventies and eighties, and I love it. Me too. I don't like the pollen. There's a lot of pollen in the air, but I figure that's just the cost of doing business. The cost yeah. of doing spring business. Spring in Texas, yeah. Texas. Well, you know, I'm excited about today's show. Like I just said, who's the guest? We are. We don't have a guest. So we are just going to do this like bantering back and forth and talk about one of my favorite subjects. Um, what would that be? Well, I have been obsessed with fitness my whole life. Yes. And exercise biohacks um, the past few years have been really on the forefront of my mind. And as you know, Scott, in today's show, we were talking, we want to really discuss fitness myths, exercise myths. Fitness myths. Is yep. that kind of like uh, Johnny Appleseed and um, John Henry, the steel driving man? Or are we talking about other kind of fitness myths? You're so funny. You're so funny. You know, I, it just, you know, when I do a lot of personal training um, with people over the years, they'll be like, oh, I heard that this was good. Or I heard, you know, no pain, no gain. That's, you know, so there's just so many myths out there. I mean, many of us are given advice by friends and colleagues and gym buddies um, about supposed facts concerning fitness and exercise. And the reality is that advice and many of those articles we read online are inaccurate. I mean, there's so much information on fitness do's and don'ts that sometimes it can get really confusing, even for the most experienced trainers and athletes. I think it's an important subject to talk about. Wait a second. Are you telling me that there's misinformation on the internet? Yes, unfortunately. Unfortunately, there is. What? I can't believe it. Well, it happens. There is. There is a lot. There's a lot of good content out there for sure, including a healthier view, but yeah, I think it's it's hard for those of us who aren't experts like you, Beth, to kind of sort through the mess. So I hope that we can help people create their own internal filter. They can filter out some of the misinformation. Yeah, yeah. And I do have to say, if you have 10 different trainers, you're going to have 10 different, you know, types of advice that you're given and 10 different, like, biggest myths out there. But, you know, today, um, you and I, because you and I think alike, you know, you and I are kind of on the same page when it comes to wellness and fitness. And, you know, um, I want to talk about the biggest exercise myths out there. And then I want us to give some specific methods or systems that our listeners can immediately apply in their life to completely elevate their health. And, and then I really want to talk about ways that people can, you know, put on muscle and ways to increase metabolic capacity. Well, what are we waiting for? (laughs) I don't know. know. 
Okay. Okay. So the first one, the first one is, um, I think when we think we reach an older age and whatever age that may be for you, whether that be 65 or 70 or 75, is that we no longer need to be fit or more commonly we can't be fit. And the fact is that not only research has proven that to be wrong and contrary to belief, we can maintain muscle, we can maintain stamina, we can maintain fitness as we age. And I would argue that it's actually necessary as we age and enter into this era of increased life expectancy, you know, the time for education um, and what it takes to live a healthy life is what is important. I mean, you can live a long time and look like Yoda and be cold and be fragile and not feel good, but how much, how fun would that be? That's not fun. We all want a quality of life, um, you know, with vitality. And I would bet you a paycheck that everyone listening to this podcast wants to live a robust, beautiful life full of energy. Absolutely. And I know that when we're talking about folks that are maybe considered elderly, that strengthening core balance fitness type plans reduce the risk of falls, which is a huge problem in that uh, population of people. Falls are a very bad deal. So anything we can do to prevent falls is obviously very important. Oh my gosh. Yeah. There was um, an article, actually, I think it was an, a news story on CBS that came out a few years ago that said the number one cause of death for people over the age of 70 and older is falling down. So absolutely. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it could, it could become a domino effect, you know, a fall, maybe not even with a big injury could lead to other issues that lead to other issues. And eventually the patient has a decline. So yeah, that's a, that's really a good point. You know, and I want to hear what you think about this. Um, um, Again, I wish I could. Sometimes we don't know where the conversation is going to take us, but I actually read somewhere that the average American is living longer, but sicker. Have you actually seen that in the hospital and your practice? Well, I have a skewed view, I guess. Obviously, I'm seeing the sicker folks, but um, so I, yeah, I would, I would argue that, uh, you know, folks are, you know, living longer, but they're having quite a few chronic problems. And by having to take multiple medications, they're able to uh, remain alive, but maybe not thrive, you know? Mm-hmm. So, oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I would take that. My, my observation as, a, as a, with a grain of salt, because of the population of patients I see, but like I said, many times I'm trying to work myself out of a job. So I, I, I just know that, and a lot of Americans are almost programmed to say, well, you know, Hey, I, it's, uh, you know, I, I'll take my blood pressure meds, my diabetes meds, my lipid medications, my this medication, my that medication, and and not change behavior. When really, mm-hmm. if we can maybe get more fit, then maybe we'll need less of these medications and stay out of the hospital and stay fit. So stay stay alive and thrive, you know, as opposed to just remain alive but maybe not be out there um, staying active and healthy. Yeah, and I think aging and wellness really calls for a change in mind shift. Don't you think so? Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, and, you know, the second biggest myth is as we age, and I hate this phrase, but I'm going to use it anyway, but as people become elderly, um, 
they think they automatically become fragile and weak and that possibly no longer, you know, contribute to society in a positive way. And that is simply not the case. Um, sarcopenia is the term given to natural muscle loss as we age. And the problem is that this loss of muscle is something that we've accepted as, you know, all too normal. And I think this is because we have this societal expectation that we are going to lose muscle as we age. So we might as well accept that and do nothing about it. Well, I mean, I see it a lot. I mean, it's just, there's a lot of things in healthcare that are attributed to aging and, you know, there, it's obviously very uh, nuanced and it's gray area, but a lot of things are not due to aging. They're, they're not a definite unavoidable part of aging. And, you know, we all know about the 80 year olds who can, you know, run a half marathon or swim a triathlon or something like that there it's out there. It may not be doable for everybody, but everybody can maintain a healthy lifestyle. So yes, I agree that there's certain, certain things are that are not inevitable parts of aging. If the person has the right mindset. Well, yeah. And education is power and what you do with that. We talked about that last night when we were on the phone preparing for this. I mean, it's what you do with that education. That's powerful. And, you know, there's a growing body of research, particularly in the strength and conditioning world that shows us that with specific training techniques, we can maintain muscles, we get older. And what is even more important to me is that people can maintain the functional fitness as they age. So they can play football with the grandkids or play tennis or play golf or do whatever it is that brings them happiness and joy when they're 80 or they're 90. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you're somebody who's motivated, you know, to, to, to become more active, you, you, you know, just again, back to our initial uh, point, where do you start? Where do you get accurate information? You know, you don't want to hurt yourself. You don't want to do something that's actually going to set you further back. I mean, how do, how does, how does somebody go and find some resources that are appropriate Well, I think it's really important to kind of think about what you want to do and kind of, and okay, this might actually answer that question in a roundabout way. So my dad, you know, he's in his mid seventies and, and mind you, my dad is an ex athlete. He was a great football, collegiate football um, athlete, but a couple of years ago, I noticed his muscles were wasting away. He wasn't as active. He got a riding lawnmower instead of push. And he just kind of slowly, you know, just physically slowed down. And he's the perfect example of what most people go through. And there's another term that doesn't get thrown around as much as muscle, and that's mitochondria. And the mitochondria are those tiny little energy producing organelles in each of our body's cells. And the number of mitochondria are directly correlated with your quality of life as you age and can even decrease your risk of chronic conditions. So the idea is to increase fitness levels that are correctly structured as you age. And this can not only help you maintain muscle, but also what I feel is just as important as muscle is increasing mitochondria you know i guess though there's some people listen to the word fitness and they think about aerobic fitness or you know strength and i know they're kind of tied together but how do you divide those two especially when you're thinking about mitochondrial health and cellular health is there a, a difference or are they all part of the same continuum Oh, that's a great question. Um, so mitochondria health, I mean, obviously eating healthy, nutritious food, getting sleep, reducing stress, um, exposure to saunas, um, and then exercise. 
exercise is one of the best ways to improve mitochondria, you know, health and function and aging muscles and help delay the age related decline in um, activity and muscle health. But the good news, and you know, going back to your original question, you don't have to spend hours in the gym, but you do have to work out and or exercise in the right way. And I recommend something as simple as 10 minutes a day of HIIT training or Tabata training or 30 to 60 minutes a week with like super slow lifting. You can really build your muscle and mitochondria health just doing those simple things. Wow. You know, Beth, I think it'd be good. You know, every time I hear the word mitochondria, I have a little PTSD from uh, chemistry <laughs> and med school, but it's probably helpful. And I'd rather, I'd like you to, I, mean, I don't want to put you on the spot, but you know, because I sometimes, uh, I try to explain things, you know, layman's terms, if you will, but how would you, how do you, how do you explain what a mitochondria is to your, to your clients? Uh, well, basically, that's a great question. And like I said, just a few minutes ago, those are tiny little energy producing organelles in each of your own body's cells. So you have so many of them. How do you keep them healthy? You talk about those four pillars of health that I'm always, you know, throwing out there. So basically every single cell you have in your body has these little energy producing organelles. So that is what your mitochondria is. And that's the best way I can kind of explain it in layman's terms. That's that's perfect. That's good. Yeah. I just wanted to expand on that a little bit more before we went further, because I think that's really important. And, you know, I think it's also important for folks when they hear a word, they don't understand, you know, not on just our show, but when they're talking to a therapist or a physical therapist or a nutritionist, you have to stop them and say, can you, can you explain that? Because sometimes we get, we're already thinking ahead about what we want to get information out there. And so it's good to no such thing as a dumb question, right? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, you know, and I think the thing that I'm getting ready to talk about, you know, it may seem foreign to our listeners, but they do work. And, you know, we'll go into this conversation a little deeper, but this kind of leads up to the number third myth. And then, and that's, you need to spend all this time at the gym or exercising for hours or for a long, you know, period of time every single day. And that's just not true. I mean, I think people are beating themselves up and actually doing more harm than good when they work out like that. And I actually want to start by saying, I encourage people to Google and look up blue zones. Do you know what blue zones are, Scott? I don't. What is, what is that? Oh my gosh. Okay. So blue zones are basically, um, longevity hotspots around the world with people living healthy, long lives. You've told me about that before. I think, yeah, that's fascinating. Where where are some of them? Do you know? Uh, Oh my gosh. Put me on the spot. I know California and it kind of changes year to year. I know Colorado has been on there. I know a spot in Utah. Um, I I don't know off the top of my head or somewhere in the Mediterranean or is well known for longevity, some places in Eastern Europe. Well, you can Google that real quick, but (laughs) what they all have in common What they all have in common is that they have low level activities throughout the day. They have clean air. They have exposure to the sun. They have clean water. And what we don't see is we don't see people in those blue zones spending hours and hours exercising a day, which is what seems to be ingrained in people's minds, especially in the Western world. You know, I know if 10 years ago, The Biggest Loser was such a popular show, and I'm not knocking it. I think it did, 
you know, some good for some people, but they would spend hours working out in the gym and minimal calories. And that's just so not healthy. And I mean, the fact is you don't need to spend hours in a gym a day or even a week. And the reason for that is if you structure your day and your life, I mean, patterning of the blue zones to have low levels of activity all day long enhancing not only your fitness, but your movement, your recovery, your overall health, exercise becomes minimal. And it's like icing on the cake and science is proving this over and over and over again. I mean, I just talked about Tabata. We've talked about Tabata a hundred times on this show. Yeah. I think it's, it's good to have that mindset because then every opportunity is an opportunity to do some strengthening, whether it's a stand-up desk or taking the stairs, like we've talked about before, instead of yes parking a little bit further away from the store when you're going shopping, just anything like that um, is probably uh, ways to get some of that low level exercise in, right? Absolutely. And just being active. And I mean, I have a desk job. I mean, I sit at my desk and I have to, you know, kind of every, you know, 30 minutes or 60 minutes, get up and move and stretch. And, and when I'm in the middle of a project or I'm working with someone, that's really difficult to do, but you have to force yourself having low levels um, of activity all day long is so important. Yeah. You said stretching, is that, is stretching in your mind, uh, another form of exercise or? Well, it's part of flexibility, which is part of health and longevity. So stretching is very, very important. Very important. Yeah. It's for uh, injury prevention too, right? Oh, for sure. For sure. And for muscle balance and, you know, and I mean, I just want to kind of talk about Tabata or HIIT training again. Um, Do you remember Dr. Peter Osborne? We had him on our show a few years ago and he is a huge fan of Tabata. Um, in fact, there was a white paper done stating that eight to 10 minutes of Tabata training, which is 20 seconds going full out, picking an exercise and going full out for 20 seconds and then taking a break for 10 seconds is more effective than 30 minutes of straight cardio exercise. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. It's, so how, how, it ends up being what, 10 minutes, 20 minutes of, of work, of workout per session or? And you can actually change, you know, you can do eight minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. Dr. Osborne says he's, that's all he does is 10 minutes of Tabata every single day. Wow. Should somebody get checked out though, from a, you know, a cardiovascular standpoint before they do that? Do you think it's a, I know it's not very long, but it's still pretty intense. You want to make sure that you don't have any. Oh, for sure. For sure. You always need to, you know, do your research and look at your body and what you can handle and, you know, and think about any symptoms or diseases you might have. I mean, we know that exercise is, is good for cardiovascular health, but you know, um, yeah, get checked out. It's always a good high, thing to get checked out. intensity interval training, right? There's yes. IIT. Interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, there's gotta be, uh, H-I-I-T for beginners out there. on oh, For sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, Tabata hit training, you can take something as, you know, what may seem simple to somebody who's worked out for 10 years consistently is going to be, so going full out um, to a level one, to a beginner might be marching in place. That's going for 20 seconds and then stopping. Mm-hmm. So it's, or they might do some wall push-ups instead of, you know, the straight, you know, military push-ups. So what's considered hard or difficult for one person might seem simple to the other. So, but yeah, getting checked is always good. And, you know, another thing I love about Tabata and HIIT training is the effects of this type of workout 
decreases blood glucose levels. If you do it right before you eat, just a few minutes or after you eat, because you're burning up that sugar. Mm-hmm. Really? Wow. Yep. Um, it seemed like it'd be better before only because I know personally afterwards, I, even if I don't need a, a, a large meal, I, you know, reflux or anything like that. But, you know, if, if that's not something that bothers you, then it's okay to, to do some high intensity training. Yeah. 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 And if you're at a restaurant, you're not going to run. Well, I guess you could, you could run into the, the restroom and do some exercises in your stall before you go out and eat, which would be a little, you know, but usually a few minutes, if you're at home, you know, do a few minutes. If you have blood sugar issues or you want to lower your blood glucose levels, take a few minutes exercise before you eat. Um, and then going for a simple walk. I've worked with so many people and I tell them to walk, just move after you eat and your body's going to use up that sugar. Yeah. If you have an hour for lunch, then, you know, instead of eating for 30 minutes and reading social media for 30 minutes or or whatever, maybe you could eat for 30 minutes, then go for a walk around the block with your coworkers for 30 minutes and catch up on, catch up on things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I was just saying that you don't need that 30 minutes of exercise, but I certainly, there is, there's a, point to kind of those longer 45 minute, 60 minute exercises. And I'll talk about that here in a minute, but I do have to say, if you have a personal goal and you want to run a marathon or you want to hike Mount Everest, you will need some sort of long cardio sessions to train for that. But for a regular person on a consistent basis, who wants to be healthy, who wants to be fit, that isn't necessarily the best way to exercise long-term. And I actually like people to do a longer session once a week to increase stamina, but the medical data, I mean, it's there, you know, this, when you do long cardio sessions, you actually cause arterial stiffness, which can lead to cardiovascular disease. And we've heard, all heard that story. You've heard of someone you think is perfectly healthy, dying after a run. And that's because they haven't paired cardio exercise with health and longevity. And, you know, the basic takeaway message is that you have to have a balanced approach to exercise. Mm-hmm. And those long 30, 45, 60 minute runs are not it. Yeah. Yeah, which is what I, I do. But I'll, I'll jump in and say that, you know, part of my running or swimming that I do, I look at it not just for exercise, but also for my mental, Your mental health. There's, mm-hmm. a, there's a little bit of an escapism about it. There's a being outside or being in the water, which has some benefits. So I, I, I would just say that if, you know, if it's something that is part of your mental health uh, maintenance, then that's fine, but just don't overdo it, I guess. Right. And, don't and overdo it. it, and then, it up with other things. Exactly. And that's what you do. I mean, I, I don't want, I know running is your thing. Um, but you also, I mean, you told me yesterday you did some sit-ups and some push-ups. so you yes. are pairing it, you yes. know, um, if I was, if you were going to pay me to be your trainer, I would probably <laughs> only have you do those long runs two or three times a week, but, um, but that's another session. Oh, I like it. Okay. Yeah. But you do, you pair it. And that's kind of the takeaway from that myth number three. And, you know, and myth number four is that you can be healthy without exercising, or maybe a better term is movement, having that functional fitness. And, 
you know, and I just alluded to this. Um, it doesn't mean you have to spend hours in the gym to be healthy, but you do need to exercise and have movement in your life to be healthy. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, just the idea of standing up every hour, these, you know, the Apple watch and Fitbits where it just kind of reminds you to stand up and move around for those of us or those that have a desk job, that's important, you know, just, just moving around, right. Keeping the blood flowing. And we're meant to move. I mean, think about how our ancestors lived. I mean, they built things, they gardened, they hunted. And I understand not everyone lives the life of a construction worker or a hunter or a gatherer. And if you do, then you're lucky in this aspect that your life is keeping you healthy and fit and active. But we live in a post-industrial society and most of us are kind of married to our phones and laptops and most of us are hunkered and hunched over, you know, a computer in the office or sitting in a car or sitting in the airplane for what, like eight to 10 hours or more a day. I mean, think about what that does. It makes it stagnant. And you just mentioned this. Think about what it does to your posture. Yeah. You know, something that comes up a lot with my patients or my colleagues nurses and other physicians who are on their feet a lot is they'll work a long shift. Nurses particularly will work a 12 hour shift most, you know, most times. And, you know, the last thing on their mind is exercise often, not all of them, but, you know, some of them see the benefit, but it's understandable that they're frankly exhausted physically and mentally after a 12 hour shift or, or I have construction workers that come in or others that are doing quite strenuous manual labor. They still have a weight problem. They're still diabetic. And, and it's, and again, I I only have them for a brief time, but it's hard to counsel them on. Yeah, I know you're tired, but you still need to go do other exercise. Or or is there any thoughts about those folks that are doing part of their occupation is demanding yet they're still having some issues with strength or conditioning? You know, they can take eight minutes, they can take minutes. So they obviously have a component of exercise. And I mean, my formal training is nutrition and exercise physiology. And I've actually chunked fitness for health into five categories. And that's strength and muscle mass. Um, and that's basically strength training where you're lifting weights, you're lifting heavy things to, you know, get strength and muscle mass. Number two is muscle endurance and anaerobic activity, which is what I talked about earlier, building that mitochondrial density, building your cardiovascular fitness through exercise, like short hit workouts. Um, and the next one is stamina, which is the ability to do, to move for long periods of time without getting tired or winded and is simply improving your endurance. And, um, we get this with working out our circulation. That's a good example. And that might be your 45 minute walk or jog or bike ride or swim once a week or twice a week. And, or even working in, in the, um, the yard all afternoon, that would be a great one for that. Um, The next one is your metabolic efficiency, and this is how um, your low-level physical activity spread throughout the day, Um, and that's what the nurses you were just talking about, that's, they would be great at that, Mm -hmm. Um, and then the final component is mobility and recovery, and this is where we take time off and let our muscles heal and rebuild. So going back to your question, um, these nurses that are working 12-hour days, and I have a a couple friends that, you know, that are nurses in the past couple of years, they've done doubles, they've done triples and they, they don't, obviously that recovery is going to be really important. It's going to take precedence 
and take importance over going out there and doing a weight training activity clearly because they're tired Um, and they're going to have that, um, the stamina because they've been moving, they've been working for long periods of time. So they need to really focus on the strength and muscle endurance, and they can do that in eight minutes, a few times a week, you know? So that's what I would say to them. You can take eight minutes a couple times a week if you're working 12-hour days because you have the stamina, you have the recovery down, but we need to work on the strength and the muscle mass and endurance. That's what I would say. You've got to take the time. Yeah, that's true. And again, I would echo just everything you said, plus just, you know, walking, doing something where you can kind of clear your mind and and a mindfulness type thing. I'm going to really focus on myself for this eight minutes, this nine minutes, this 10 minutes. I'm going to think about my muscle lengthening. I'm going to think about my lungs expanding, my breath in and out. All those mindfulness things we've talked about before on the show can be incorporated into that eight to 10 minutes. And so you're really getting some stress relief too. And, and, you know, you talked about stretching earlier Um, you can't be super healthy if you have short muscles and you have poor posture. And, and here's where I would encourage um, people to think outside the box. I mean, stretching and working on your soft tissue, an excellent example of this is getting massages or using a foam roller on your back or your IT bands. And, and again, stretching for flexibility is definitely a component of a fitness. Oh yeah, for sure. And, that's and I always say. I really suffer with stress. I, I don't stretch enough. I'm, I'm not very limber. I've tried to do yoga classes and it's, I'm, I'm, I'm not even a beginner. You know, <laughs> That's so funny. The basic, basic postures, you know, the basic um, things, but I, 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 that's definitely an area I want to work on is, is, is uh, flexibility and stretching. You know, and I always say stretching is the most underrated form of exercise there is. And I mean, if there are times when I will work out and if I'm a little kind of behind, you know, like oh, I don't really have time, stretching is the one thing that I have to focus on and challenge myself to do. That's one thing that I, you know, and I can, you know, talk about it and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And that's one thing it's, and it's not fun for me. So it's a little boring. I'm like you, I, when I go to a yoga class, I thoroughly enjoy it, but yeah. getting there is like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to like it. it it's, <laughs> it's a little slow paced. It's a little, it's not my favorite form, but it's so important. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, but I think you have, you know, a really good balance. I mean, I, I know you stretch, you do your strength training, you do your, obviously you do your cardio and, um, but kind of Wrapping up my top five myths is the last one I want to talk about is one type of exercise is enough. That's what people think. I can run and be a runner or I can just lift weights or I can just do yoga. And that's not enough. I mean, if you look at human physiology, um, again, let's just say you're doing yoga. You're going to have flexibility and you maybe have some minimal strength holding the poses. If you're just doing high interval training, you're going to have some sort of stamina. You're going to have some sort of mitochondrial density and possibly oxygen utilization. Mm -hmm. If you're doing just strength training, you're going to have some strength and power. But if you're just doing one form of exercise, then you're missing out um, and you're going to be very unbalanced. So I'm going to, you know, stretching, cardio, and strength training. Those are the three things that you need to do for those five components that I talked about. And, and I think one of the overarching things you've alluded to is that you don't have to have a gym membership or fancy, fancy equipment um, to do this. But I would like to ask you your opinion about um, some inexpensive things that you 
probably could use to benefit uh, your conditioning at home. Let's say you decide to do home exercises. You can't afford an exercise bike. You know, you can, you can do your aerobic stuff and maybe out walking or running, but what are some, and I'm thinking specifically about bands or pull-up bars or, you know, hand weights. Tell, what are your essentials or you think things that are probably worth their uh, cost to do at home? Um, well, for me, I know I actually have some friends that run barefoot, but I'm going to say invest in a pair, a good pair of gym shoes. It's number one, because you want to protect your feet. And I, for me, I need that support and you don't have to have any equipment. I want to talk about some equipment, some inexpensive equipment that you can purchase, but you can get on YouTube and look up Tabata training, mm-hmm. hit training. It's completely free. You don't have to have any equipment for some of them. Um, so if you don't want to spend any money other than in some shoes, that would be great, but hand weights, five, 10, 15, 25 pound hand weights, you can get at Walmart or target. You can get on Amazon bands. You absolutely can build strength with bands. I've heard if I've heard it once, I've heard it a million times in my career. I don't want to use resistance bands because I can't you know, build muscle. That's so not true. You absolutely can because you're breaking down the muscle. That's all you're doing. That's all you're doing is breaking down the muscle. And you can do that with bands and they're very inexpensive. That's great. That's really good. That's good Intel. So yeah, again, it's, I mean, most of us realize that some of the excuses we make for not working on our fitness and strength, and I'm speaking for myself mainly, are, are just that excuses, but it is also helpful to have somebody like you kind of work through them a little bit and, and, and know that there are options, you know, Oh, I can't afford a gym membership. Well, there's other, I can't, aff- I, I don't, I'm not, I can't run five miles. Well, you know, I don't have a swimming pool access, you know, that I do know that your history with the YMCA is such that I, I it, do you have anything to say about the why? I always feel like that's a really cost-effective way to have access to a, a gym for working out. What are your thoughts about that? Oh my gosh, there are gyms well, I mean, you know, I live in the city, so there are gyms everywhere, all around affordable gyms, you know, you can find a gym that's, you know, affordable. Um, I am going to say the YMCA is great for kids and it has um, every city, every town is different with their YMCA. I know the one that I came from was really focused more on, um, we had a fitness center, we had a pool and it was heavy on kids. It was heavy on youth sports and after school, um, a couple of the corporate YMCAs here in the Houston area are very much, you know, downtown. I don't even think they have a kids program. It's geared toward the working adult. So yeah. yeah, great, affordable, but even beyond that, a lot of gyms, there are just so many, you can find one that's pretty right. affordable. Yeah, absolutely. Whole, I don't want to mention any names, I guess, but you know, they have that concept where actually it's, it's an un, un um, staffed facility where there's just a lock and you go in 24 mm-hmm. seven and you can do access to machines and equipment at your own pace. And, you know, they saves you money on the membership because it's unstaffed. The overhead, right. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And there are gyms everywhere. They really are. Again, you know, both you and I do live in the city, so it's easier to say that. So we might um, have a listener be like, I live in the country and it would drive, take me an hour to drive to a gym. And I want to be very, you know, aware of that and sensitive to that, but you don't have to have a gym membership. You can, 
again, YouTube has become my, in fact, I did a YouTube exercise video yesterday and I had to cry. I was huffing and puffing afterward. I did a HIIT training, a 10 minute HIIT training. It's all I could fit in yesterday. And it was great. Absolutely great. Do you, you know, there's so many, any, any tips for our listeners on how to find one that may be, you know, better, not better, maybe not the right word, but, you know, safer, I guess, should you look for the word beginner or senior or pregnant, I guess, obviously, whichever area you fit into, or should you, should you search that specifically so that you make sure you're not quote unquote out of your league when you, you know, you don't want to just jump into this uh, video that's talking to uh, advanced folks, right? They're actually pretty good about that. And I will say, if you start something, if it's a a 10 minute video, look at it before you actually do it or do it like on a modified pace and yeah, take it easy. If you, again, you want to push yourself, that's where you're going to see gains, but you don't want to push yourself to an injury. And because that's just, that could take you up for months if you do that. So start with, if you're a beginner, start with the beginners. If you are more advanced. And when I say advanced, I mean, you've been consistently working out for five to six years. That's advanced in the fitness world. If you are just kind of sporadic, you're intermediate. So look up what's good for you. Don't think you're advanced. If you were a high school athlete and you want to start working out at 40 again, you're not, you're going to be a beginner. So really be honest with yourself to know where you're starting your starting point. That's awesome. Yeah. I actually have my own myth that I wanted to bring up uh, Beth that comes up a lot and it's really been debunked, but I think it persists a lot is the whole idea that, um, you know, strength training can worsen existing hypertension. And so, you know, in the old days of my training, you know, the idea was that, you know, even a person who had controlled hypertension on blood pressure medicines shouldn't do any strength training because it could potentially increase the blood pressure while you're straining under a weight or whatever you're doing, and it could precipitate a vascular event. Vascular maneuver, yeah. Yeah, that's been been debunked for the most part, and I think studies have shown that strength training is really good for hypertensives for the reasons you mentioned, it can actually help lower blood pressure. Mm Mm-hmm. That goes back to that mitochondrial, but the problem, and when I've trained people, especially men, I don't want to, you know, pick on the men out there, but a lot of men lift heavier weights than women do. Although women, it will not make you bulky. It it won't do that. But a lot of people, let me put it that way. When they lift weights, they hold their breath when they, they're just, it's kind of a natural, like, I'm going to, you know, and they, and that's really bad. That can actually raise your blood pressure. So make sure you're breathing, breathe out, but you're right. Weightlifting is really good for the heart and for your circulatory system. Well, I hear you, but again, actually I was talking to a neurosurgeon one time about that. And I think again, that, you know, it's hard not to Valsalva when you're lifting relatively heavy weight and that there's actually been some studies that may show that it's not as dangerous as once thought. But again, I think that clearly what I would say, like we always say, Beth, is that before you start a vigorous exercise program, you should discuss it with your, your primary care doctor and get a little bit of an idea from them if you're safe for it and where you should be cautious about it. You know, I think that's probably the, the main takeaway, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, check it with your physician to make sure it's okay that you start an exercise program. And if you are coming off of an injury or you just don't know where you're starting or you have high blood pressure and you're really concerned about that, um, you know, get with an experienced personal trainer, see what their expertise is in. You will have 
trainers that specialize in pregnancy. You'll have trainers specialized in um, folks, you know, rehab and injury. So if you need the help, reach out. Okay. I like that. I mean, that's always the case. I mean, you know, and again, I think now that's one of the beauties of the internet is that there's just so much, there is, there is a lot of misinformation, but there's a lot of good information out there. Absolutely. Questions, And again, we're here. If you have any questions, uh, you know, if you have a, in the comment section, just ask questions. We're happy to, to lend some advice. Absolutely. Yeah. Pop in a, a comment or a question in the comment box. And Scott, I would reach out to you personally. Definitely. Definitely. Well, this has been good. This time of year, people are kind of getting that urge. You know, there's always the, the first, the first of the year with all the New Year's resolutions, but those are kind of doused by the cold, damp, you know, weather. But now we got the sun shining and the birds are singing. So I think it's a great time to to touch on this topic because it's so important to get outside and get some fresh air. Oh, again, yeah, just for general health and make it a year round habit. Start your habit now. And again, we don't have to be as we age, we don't have to be that um, person that's slunched over with, you know, not mu little muscle, we can really thrive. You said this at the beginning, let's thrive as we get older. And that's really what I hope people take away from this, this conversation today. Absolutely. I mean, I just, I really feel like, um, like a lot of things with wellness, if you just give it a chance, you're going to just be blown away by how much better you feel. I just feel like people, including myself, you just don't know how bad you feel until you feel better. And mm -hmm. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but it's really true when it comes to nutrition and exercise, man, it just feels so good. Even if it's a pain to get to do it, to get to, once you do it, you feel so much better. It just just get it going. You know, it's so funny before we got a commercial break, I want to tell you this story. It's kind of piggybacking on what you just said. I had a client who um, clearly was, um, had some behavioral health issue, had some stress, had some anxiety, some depression. And she literally was like, no, I'm not, I'm not just for our conversations. And I pointed out, I was like, I think you've had this mental state for such a long time that you don't realize that you feel so badly. Really, and and that's so true. You said something that triggered. Yeah. Like I think people can feel bad, and they almost feel like that's normal. Yeah. They don't realize how good they can feel. It, you know, it's like you know, the, a fish in the water doesn't realize he's in the water. It's just or, you know, it's in the water. It's just that it's 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 just their it's their reality. Even though you don't realize there's a different reality, or the idea that a you frog, you know, you put it in a, a pan of cold water and slowly turn up the heat. You know, I mean. It's just, it's so insidious sometimes that it really takes somebody to motivate you. And I, I can personally put a, a plug in for a workout partner. I mean, I, I like to swim by myself only because, you know, swimming is kind of an individual thing, but it always helps to have somebody in the lane next to you to chat with when you're taking breaks in between sets. And certainly with running, I'm much more motivated to, to run with somebody. So, you know, find yourself a workout partner if you don't have one and then you can be accountable to each other. Yes. Great advice. Great advice. And with that, let's take a commercial break. We don't want you on our team. You're too slow and fat. This is weight bias. Don't you care how you look? Those with the serious disease called obesity face weight bias every day. You're not the right fit for this job. And blame themselves. I wish I was different. Weight bias hurts. Let's stop weight bias. Be part of the solution. Go to stopweightbias.com, a public service message from Obesity Action Coalition.
All right. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope that you take some valuable information from the conversation and apply it to your life in one way or another. Scott, what is one thing you learned today? What H-I-I-T stands for? No, no. I, you do that. I learned a ton, but really the, I, the mitochondria references were really exciting to me because when you really drop it down to a cellular level like that, Beth, it really... It, it brings it home to me and it, it you know, it, it's, it really kind of uh, demystifies it in a way. Oh, yay. Yay. Okay, guys. So, um, we're going to close out this episode, but remember we are syndicated. So this show will not only be on the up to me radio channel, but also on the following apps, Spotify, Amazon music, Alexa, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and tune in. Scott and I will see you next time around. And until then, have a healthy day. Mm-hmm.